thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi there, and welcome back to Thread. This is episode 19 in our podcast as we have Bible study for grown-ups moving through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse. Uh, I am looking outside in an absolutely gorgeous day, and I hope you're having a great day too. We've been working really hard here. Uh, Our home is very small. We've got a two-bedroom house, and we get a lot of visitors And we'll be getting even more this next year. So two doors down, uh, a little house opened up also that we can use as a guest house and an office. So we've been working to get that in shape. And on top of that, my son Andrew and his wife Jackie have moved over here to join us in ministry. And so that's been exciting. We're getting, uh, getting them settled. They've been here just a few days and we're getting them into their own house that they've chosen and uh, getting life set up for them. Uh, maybe just a little word about what we're doing in January, January 5 through March 20, about 25. We're launching a new school called Media Light. And at Media Light, you'll study the teachings of Jesus. You'll study about leadership, spirituality, personal life management, but you'll also get a very healthy dose of communications. You'll learn about websites, about how to minister through radio, how to especially how to produce high-quality video because it's a very visual age that we're in. If you're going to be a gospel communicator today, you need to do it through visual means. So if you're interested in that school, we've got five slots left, and you can attend. That would be uh, January 5, but you need to get in touch with me right away so we can start the process to see if you can get, uh, if you can get into this batch. So you could just email me, chuck at quinley.com. Well, if you don't have your Bible, we're in Mark chapter 6, so go get a Bible. We're going a verse at a time, unless you're in the car, and then you're fine just like you are. We'll be right back after the break. Okay, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, this is kind of a painful note. Uh, Jesus took his disciples. This is his year of popularity. He's been uh, received by huge crowds all over the nation, and now he goes home to be a blessing to his own family. And he moves uh, with his troop back up to Nazareth, uh, where he was raised as a child, and he goes there to take the blessing that he's brought to the whole nation, the healing of their sick, uh, the revolutionary teaching about the kingdom and grace, and uh, he's come to bring that to them, but he, he is not received the way that you would expect the hometown boy to be received. It says in verse 2, on the Sabbath, they had him teach in the synagogue and he taught and his teaching was powerful and amazing. He had authority because also Jesus taught differently than the rabbis. The rabbis would quote other rabbis forever and it was their way of showing that they were well read and that um, they were the faithful guardians of other men's opinion. And who knows, maybe one day someone would look back in history on their opinion and say that it was good too. So, you know, they would read a text and they would say, Rabbi, this says that, and this rabbi said that. And they'd go on forever. And Jesus didn't teach like that. He would just teach. And sometimes he would even say, you've heard it said by the rabbis, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, or something like that. And then he would say, but I say... 
You know, so he taught with this authority that they were not accustomed to. And in verse two, they start to whisper among themselves, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this that's given to him? Look at the mighty works performed by his hand. And then they start in verse three, putting labels on him. They start judging him and judging negatively. Isn't this just, we could insert that word. Isn't this just the carpenter? Uh, isn't this the son of Mary, the one whose brother is James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? There are five boys in this family. He's the eldest son, and, and don't we have his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. You know, he seems to be this great prophet, but we know him as this little kid from down the street, and they don't have nearly the respect for him that the outside world had. And Jesus remarks, isn't this just how it always is? A prophet, verse 4 is not without honor anywhere. He's honored everywhere he goes except in his own country and among his relatives and in his own house. And sometimes it's like that. You know, it's it's um, your own kids hardly obey you, but other people's kids think you hung the moon and they listen to every word you say and you can pour into their life. And, you know, when they come to the house... Like, we have a lot of people in our house, uh, always. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of uh, amazing to me the response that you get from outside kids who come in, they jump in, they start doing the dishes, they want to talk to you so much. And, uh, you know, sometimes you've done your very best to pour into your own children's life and you're having to follow them behind, you know, and say, do your chores. And it's just different. There's something that happens inside a family uh, that does not always cause people to uh, connect to your words. It's all, oh, that's just mom. She's just, you know, nagging again about sexual purity. And, you know, it's just mom, this, just, just dad. And they're kind of doing that with Jesus. But look at, look at the effect of this. Their, um, their doubt and their pride, because that's really what you're seeing. They put themselves in judgment over Jesus. Their pride limits his abilities. I mean, he has he has tapped God's power. He has his own level of faith and he is able to go into towns and open blind eyes and he just, you know, he just sweeps through towns cleaning out disease and lifetime uh handicaps. He just wipes them out with those words. But now he's home among his cousins very willing to do the same thing and it says Look, only Mark records it this way. Now, he could do no mighty work there. Isn't that odd? Isn't that amazing? How that doubt limits God's work. Pride limits God's work. He wants to do it, but then, you know, we're proud and we're doubting and we're double-minded. And he said, well, you know, of course, look at verse 5. Except he did lay his hands on a few sick people and he did heal them. In verse 6, and this is word, as far as I'm uh, aware of it, is only used twice in Scripture. He marveled. Uh, that word is also used uh, of Jesus and the centurion. When the centurion tells Jesus, don't even come to my house, just say a word in the air. And miles away in my home, my servant's going to get healed because you've got authority. Uh, Matthew eight ten, 
the Bible says, uh, when Jesus heard this guy's level of, of faith, he said, oh, wow, he marveled because of this man's faith. Well, now look at, he's in his hometown, and it says he marveled, he was stunned because of their unbelief. These are the people that taught him to read as a child. They taught him the scriptures as a child, and he is amazed that they do not believe. And so he leaves them, and he goes in a circle. Uh, he has a circuit, and he is in a small loop, and he teaches. Jesus did three of these loops in his ministry. He did the first one. He did all the work. Uh, the second circuit begins in verse 7. And he sends the disciples now ahead of him in a wider circle because it is his, uh, his goal and his strategy to cover every village in Israel. He wants them to be visited by someone with a kingdom message in his lifetime. He has three and a half years, four years to do his ministry. And so in verse 7, we see the transfer of power. He calls his 12 to him. He sends them out, not alone. He sends them two by two. That's a principle in ministry. And he gives them power over unclean spirits. And he gives them now, they're on on-the-job training now. They're going to learn by doing. And then he commands them to take no money. It's like, okay, guys, we're heading out. I've got you teamed up two by two. I want to give you something. Here is my power to... Cast out demons. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to speak this power into you. And now you can go to anyone with a demon and you just say the things I say, come out. And they have to obey you. So go around and do what you've seen me do this in this circuit of verse 6. Uh, you do the same thing. Then he says, all right, now, uh, who's got a wallet? Oh, I do, I do. Okay, hand me your wallets. Who has some food? Oh, I do. Okay, hand me your food. Uh, anybody here, you got an extra coat? Yeah, I got one. Okay, give me your coat. And he just strips them of all their stuff. And they're going, you know, Lord, we got a backpack. We got to be ready for this a long trip. He says, nope, I want you to be free. I just want, and just wear sandals, simple shoes, and don't wear two, two coats. What's he doing? Now, he never did this before. I, I never did this afterwards in their life. Because it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's common sense to prepare for the future and for eventualities. But he's trying to drive home a really important lesson. And that is that those in the ministry can trust God, especially when they're out on mission. You can trust God to provide for you. And so he takes away from them all their human means of provision because he's absolutely certain that God is going to give them a blanket at night somewhere along the road. Someone's going to open their house. They're going to feed them. Uh, someone's going to hand them an offering along the way. Uh, someone's going to put food in their hands for the journey every day. God has this kind of stuff organized for you. You don't have to say, well, I can't go, you know, I can't be a missionary because I don't have all of this money and I, I haven't finished my education. And I can't actually, you know, he's saying, don't put those things ahead of the kingdom mission. I've got the mission here and I'm giving you what you really need is supernatural authority. I'm going to give you my power now take off. And then he gives them some rules. And one of them is a rule of stability. That's verse 10. And that is you don't bounce from house to house. When you go to a village, you stay still. 
and you, you stay in the same home because you need to establish relationships. You need community. And uh, some monastic orders have a thing called the vow of stability, which means I'm not leaving this town till I die. I've moved here. This is my home. I will be with these people all my life. And uh, he's not, you know, this is a short-term trip. They're not going to stay there forever. But he just wants them to be stable, and he wants them to build a network of relationships across the country that they can build on next time. Well, you really know people, you know their children, you've eaten in their home, and then, you know, it's going to work for you. And we can build on that. Now, verse 11, he lets him know, this is a confrontational ministry. And part of what you're about is to clearly mark who is an insider in the kingdom of God and who is an outsider in the kingdom of God. Now, everyone is invited to be an insider, but everyone will not accept that invitation. And you must not give them the impression that they are on the inside. There are things they have to do, namely repent. Uh, they have to repent and accept the rulership of the king. If you will do that, you may enter his kingdom. So he says, I need you to go and draw a very clear line everywhere you go. If you go into a place and they won't receive you, when you leave from there, this is a Middle Eastern custom, uh, shake your sandals off and everybody knew what it meant, that you have rejected us and I am confronting this rejection. This is a warning to you. You should be thinking about the consequences of having rejected uh, our message. And he says at the end of verse 11, there are consequences for that. God loves people. He is giving them the offer of salvation. But there is also a time of judgment, and he will come as judge. And he says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the city that has had a messenger of Jesus walk into it, and you push them out. Now, verse 12, he gave them the core message of the kingdom. And this is a message that I think has been lost on the church that we've got to reclaim. And I've, I've said a lot about it from uh, podcast to podcast. He gave them the message. Your message is what? That people should repent. That's the core message. If you want to enter the kingdom, you are welcome. The door for this time is wide open to you. But you must repent. People should be repenting. That's what. That's an ought and a should. It's a duty. You should repent. Uh, repent means turn around. Quit doing what you're doing if you know it's wrong. Uh, turn your back on your sin. And uh, they, they had great success in the spirit world. Verse 13, they cast out many demons. And they anointed with oil many who were sick. And they healed them. This was shared power. There were multiplied results. This was a huge spiritual movement. You see, chapter 6 is about the power of the kingdom. And the power of the kingdom is at work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then through Christ, it is transferred authority into the lives of his 12. And now they can do everything that he's been doing. They are preaching the repentance message they are casting out demons. They are also healing. And this is all part of gospel proclamation. It's not just words. It's words plus power. Now, uh, verse uh, 14 through 29, and I'm just going to kind of summarize this because this is a parenthetical story. 
We're in the middle of a story about the advance of the kingdom and about spiritual power, supernatural spiritual power. But verse 14 is a uh, reminder about the eventual collision that will always take place between righteousness-based kingdom power. Demons are being cast out. People are being saved. There is a push from the kingdom of God, an invasion into a spiritually dark place. But that will eventually run head-on into raw, naked human power and those who hold it because your spiritual power, your spiritual authority uh, threatens their unrepented, wrong, raw human power and the way that they are using it. And people who use power uh, in a in just a naked, cruel way, uh, they're dangerous. And they're, they're dangerous to those who come with a different message. And Herod was one of those people. He was despotic. He killed who he wanted to kill. He was not accountable. And when Herod heard the what the movement is doing, these disciples are healing, the stories are coming back to him that through his territory there you know there's a dozen different men going around with this authority he connects all of it to Jesus the name of Jesus had become well known how did it become well known the ministry of Jesus but also now the multiplied ministry of these guys cuz they can be in even two by two they're in six places every day in a small country so this is coming to Herod's attention and Herod said, oh, no, John the Baptist has risen back from the dead. You know, that was his idea. And because he had murdered John the Baptist, Herod had actually taken his brother's wife. Now, he had been to, to his brothers. He had met his brother's wife, Herodias, uh, his brother, Philip, and they had started an affair. And Herodias left Philip because Herod the Great had more power. And uh, uh, this is actually the son of Herod the Great. Um, and John the Baptist confronted him with spiritual authority. You, it's not lawful. You're claiming to be a leader of Jewish people. This thing you've done, you took your own brother's wife. Well, Herod knows he's wrong. Herodias is just one of these evil, you know, witch, uh, political, political witch woman. That just, she's just into power and all this, and she got a grudge. She wanted to kill him, but she couldn't think of how to kill him. Herod was afraid of John. He knew he was a holy man. He knew he had supernatural authority. Although John never did a miracle, but John's words had so much impact, and Herodias just waited because, you know, confronting sin is a prophet's call though it often costs him personally to deliver God's message. He's just the messenger. He's just the mailman. But the mail says what you're doing is wrong. And that's the job of a kingdom messenger. We have to deal with unrighteousness and we have to call people to repentance. You do it as gently as you can, but you do it. You, that's your job. It's your core responsibility. And this is a good case study of God wrestling with the rich and the powerful for their souls. And you know, God is trying to give Herod with all of his uh, cruelty. Uh, he's trying to give Herod a chance to repent. And Herod's got this thing going on in his soul. Uh, but 
know, it's not to be. He is in love with this world and with the ways of this world. And Herodias, his wife now, is looking for her chance. And so on a big day when Herod's got this big event, uh, she slides her pubescent daughter out there who dances seductively, gets him all turned on, and then in front of everyone... At the end of the dance, he he stops. It's kind of belly, sensual belly dance kind of thing. He stops and says, okay, ask me anything you want. I'll give it to you. And she's ready. And, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, they're feasting. They're drinking. He's not thinking clearly. And then he says this thing, which is a gross exaggeration. If she had asked for it, he wouldn't have done it. I'll give you even half of my kingdom. You know, if you would dare ask for it, then I think kings would kill you for doing it. But um, it's his promise, at least, in front of everybody. And so she says, with haste, I want you right now, so you can't think about it, to bring me on a serving platter the head of John the Baptist. And Herod, verse 26, was convicted. Yet because of the social pressure, verse 26, those who sat with him, he didn't want to refuse her. He sent his executioner. They came with, in the Middle East, I don't think they cut your head off with a sword. I think they sawed off with a knife the way they kill a lamb. And so they just came into the prison. Suddenly the door opens and in moments John is dead. And his head is on a platter. It's brought to the girl. I mean, what did you just do to this child for life? Um... And the girl carries this platter with a head on it to her mother. The disciples come and collect his body. Uh, these two powers are in absolute opposition to each other. Now, in this age, human power often kills the spiritual messenger. But in the big picture, kingdom power is irresistible. It will overthrow all kings and all powers as Christ establishes his rule of perfect righteousness across every nation and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord over all lords. And that will come because of spiritual messengers who go across the world and do the work of the kingdom. And God has a calling for you to do the work of the kingdom. He will give you people to speak to. He will give you the words to say. It's just my brothers and sisters for us to have the courage to be the gospel messenger and to stand up and speak the word that the Lord speaks to us. So let's enter the ministry. Let's allow the Lord to use us so that at the end of our day, we'll know that we have also been used to take the kingdom forward into places, into nations, and into the lives of people who would not have had a chance to receive except God sent us to them. And through that personal encounter, their eyes were opened, the Holy Spirit convicted them of their spiritual state, and they were able to turn from darkness, humble their heart, and enter the beautiful, wonderful kingdom of God and know the fellowship of God their Father. Let's pour our lives into that. All right, that's all for now. Uh, once again, you can connect to me, uh, chuck at quinley.com. That's my personal email. Quinley.com is my family's uh, blog site. And then the emergenetwork.com. Org. That's got all kinds of uh, ministry helps and tools, and I want to encourage you to visit us there. Thanks. See you next time. Thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to emergenetwork.org.